Jesus. And we really want, um, we want to bring this living hope of Jesus to a world that really desperately needs him. And today we're going to be looking at, we're continuing in our series on the worthiness of God. You know, what does the Bible have to say about the nature of God and what difference does it make? You know, we've been looking at different attributes and from the book of Psalms, we looked at the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, and today we're going to be looking at the wisdom of God. Um, and <clears throat> wisdom we know is not the same thing as knowledge, right? Because we've met a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge and, well, they're not very smart. Um, well, I mean, you know, come on, we laugh, but we know that that's true sometimes. Uh, when we need advice, when we need encouragement, we don't always go to the smartest, most well-educated person in the field. We will go to the people who have the experience, the insight, and the understanding uh, that we value. And so when it comes to the wisdom of God in the Bible, um, the Bible speaks of very, something very specific about God's wisdom. And I would define God's perfect wisdom in this way, that God's wisdom means God has the best possible plan and the best possible way to accomplish it. God has the best possible plan and he knows the best possible way of accomplishing this plan. That means that God takes all of his infinite knowledge, all his perfections, his attributes, his ability to orchestrate the past, present, and future, and he always works them together to accomplish his purposes. And because God is infinitely wise, number one, his purpose is perfect and his method of getting, of accomplishing his purpose is also perfect. So when we think about the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God is actually closely related to the sovereignty of God. Because last week we saw that the sovereignty of God means that God is in complete control of all creation in heaven and earth. That nothing happens that he does not either cause or permit. That everything happens according to his sovereign plan. That that's the sovereignty of God. So then the natural response is, God, if you are totally in control, why do you allow certain things to happen? Okay, why, do, why is there tragedy? Why is there suffering? Why is there injustice in the world today? See, in essence, these are questions about wisdom, about God's wisdom. And it really asks the question, if we accept that God is sovereign, can we also accept that he is wise? Can we believe that God's plan for my life and for this world is the best possible plan? And secondly, can I believe that God is going about his plan in the best possible way? And see, these two questions really have a direct impact on whether or not we're going to follow God or cooperate with God or try to go our own way. I mean, that's really what we want to tackle today as we think about the wisdom of God. What does it mean to truly believe that God is infinitely and perfectly wise? And how does that kind of speak to our everyday kind of practical circumstances in life? And so to answer this question, we're going to be looking at a portion of Psalm 119. It's an expansive work devoted to the beauty of God's word and the wisdom of God. In fact, we don't know who wrote Psalm 119, but from its contents, we can see that the writer uh, suffered a lot. He suffered a lot of injustice. He speaks about princes who plotted against him. He speaks about being afflicted. He speaks about people uh, speaking lies about him. 
But instead of questioning God's wisdom or abandoning God's plan over and over again, the psalmist resolves, he says, I will even more keep your word, walk in your ways, and I will not stray from your commands. In fact, the psalmist uh, affirms over and over again, he says, it is in the obedience and the honor of God's word that he finds comfort, that he finds hope, that he finds strength and direction in the struggles of life. And so Psalm 119 um, is famous for being the lengthiest psalm, the longest psalm in the Bible. It has actually 22 stanzas. Each are eight verses. And each stanza, in each stanza, all eight verses begin with the same letter of the alphabet. And so they go through the whole Hebrew alphabet. So verse one through eight begins, all the verses begin with the letter A. Verses nine through 16, all the letter, all the verses begin with the letter B. And today we're gonna look at the M stanza. And so I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 119, verse 97. 119, verse 97. And let's, let's stand in reverence for the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 97. He says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So from this passage, we're going to see that when we worship, that we worship God by living according to his word. That our obedience, or even our lack of obedience, reveals how we really view or understand God's wisdom. It reveals whether we actually believe that God is actually a wise God, or whether we believe that we can do better. See, ultimately the issue of day-to-day obedience is not an issue of discipline. It's an issue of worship. And so in this passage, we're gonna be looking at three things regarding the wisdom of God. First of all, we're gonna be looking at God's word, the connection between God's word and worship. The second thing we're gonna look at is the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom, quote wisdom, of this world. And then finally, we're gonna look at what does it mean to really trust in the wisdom of God. And so we start with the beginning. We'll look at the inseparable connection between God's word and worship. And I believe that this is really what makes the difference between Christianity and just any other empty religion. That if we try, and people try to separate obedience, when we separate obedience to God's word from worship, then one of two things will happen. One possibility is the Christian life becomes lifeless. Without worship, Obedience becomes just following a moral code, just doing what God wants because we want to accomplish something, we want to receive something or whatever, uh, we want to get to heaven, you know, whatever it may be, without worship, obedience is just a drudgery, it's just doing stuff. The other danger is the Christian life, if we separate obedience from worship, the Christian life can become 
powerless. Because see, worship is meant to be a powerful experience. We talked about recharging the spiritual life, but without obedience, we're plugged in, but the power strip is turned off. You ever do that? It's like your phone, you think your phone is charging up, you, know, you plug it in real fast, run out the door, and then when you pick up your phone, you're like, oh, 2%, what's going on? Well, hey, the, 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 the power strip was off. We, we come to church and we think we're plugged in. You know, we have this joyful experience, we're pumped up about Jesus, but without the intention or the follow through of obeying God's word, there's no spiritual power. We come out, we're excited, but we say, well, I don't wanna do what God wants me to do then there's really no power that comes out of that worship experience. And so we look at verse 40, 97, and the psalmist proclaims, he says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. And we see from this opening statement that the psalmist both has a love for God and for God's word. He says, I meditate on it day and night. This is a poetic way of saying, God, I love your word so much that I think about it all day long in my waking hours I'm just ruminating concentrating and estimating the, the wonder of God's commands and, and 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 the love of God's law when he speaks about the love of God's law he's not talking about you know just I love the Bible it, he's talking about worship he's talking about how much he loves God now many of you know that Rita and I when we were dating um, and when I was in seminary in Texas and Rita was in Toronto this was pre-internet so we actually wrote like physical letters sometimes two letters a week and then, of course, the letters were carried by ship. No, they were, <laughs> wasn't that long ago. But I remember every day, uh, just, you know, humor me. Every day, I would actually be skipping to the mailroom. I'm literally, like, skipping to the mailroom. I was so excited. I'd open the little box because we had all the boxes lined up. I'd open the box, and, and, you know, if there's a letter in there and it looks like it's from overseas, I'd grab it, and I'd run to my dorm room right away, rip it open, and I'd just pour over it, like, you know, every single word. I know, it's just humor me. I'd read it over and over again. I'd put it on my desk, you know, while I'm studying. And so I'm studying, I'm going like this, you know. Like, and I'd be studying, and then I'd be like, just looking at the letter sometimes, you know, and I'd stop studying. And, and it's like, now, I'm not in love with the actual letter, the piece of paper. That'd be really creepy. <laughs> I'm in love with the author of that letter, right? So in the same way as we are followers of God, we treat the word of God as a letter from someone that we love so deeply that you, can, you, can, you cannot separate obedience from worship. You can no more separate obedience from worship than you can separate God's word from God himself. In many ways, obedience actually is worship. Right? How can we say, I love God, but I don't really care about honoring the things that are important to you, God? How can we on one side of our mouth say, God, you are worthy, you are good, and on the other side say, well, but I don't want to deal with the areas that I know are an issue, Lord, that, that you're talking to me about, but I don't want to listen to you, God. The worship of God and obedience to his word are interconnected. They go together. And, and so that's the first important thing that we want to realize about this idea of the wisdom of God. The second thing we want to see is the contrast between God's wisdom and the wisdom of the world. You know, a lot of people say, well, the Bible has a lot of good advice, you know, good principles to live by. And what they're really saying is that God's wisdom is no different than the world's wisdom. 
right? They're saying that God's word is helpful in addition to the wisdom of this world and the things that I'm doing already. God's word is helpful. But here in Psalm 119, we say that this couldn't be more further from the truth regarding God's wisdom and the world's wisdom, okay? Now, when you're driving along and you see this sign, what, do you, what does that mean? You know, it's like you don't go zooming up the ramp at 60 miles an hour. I mean, it's really clear. It says, do not, it ain't two things there. Usually you see one of them, two things. Do not enter, wrong way. And you look at this thing and go, hey, you know, I, I'm in a hurry. It's wide open. There's nothing there. You know, let's go. You know, the, you would look at that and go, obviously, I would not do that. It's pretty clear that this is not the right way to go. And there's a reason why those signs are there. Well, Psalm 98 says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. And what he is saying, he's not saying, oh, I'm really great. He's saying this is the idea of God's wisdom, that God's wisdom is different than the world's wisdom, that when you look at the world's wisdom and the world, what the world's trying to tell you to do, think of this sign that says, hey, be very careful. Don't accelerate up the ramp even though it looks clear, even though it's right in front of you, because it's going to be a disaster. If we follow just the things of this world, we live in an information age. The wisdom of the world is communicated and proliferated literally at light speed. And we find that a lot of human wisdom is subjective. It's just what people think and say, um, and it's not very reliable. I was looking at some memes for human wisdom. Uh, one of them, having trouble scooping ice cream? Heat the spoon up in the microwave. <laughs> well, you can't read the bottom part. But I mean, you know, you first say, hey, that's a good idea. Then you go, if you try it, you know, you'll be in big trouble. Second one, this one I like too. Don't use your turn signal. Signal. It's no one else's business where you're going. I thought, hey, that's pretty good too, you know, but no, that's not good. And this one actually is true. You know, this one really somebody believes this. It says, a 119-year-old, 109-year-old woman said, the secret to long life is avoiding other people. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you know, after living that long, and you think of all the things that she knows, you know, and, and all the things that she has seen, living for a whole century, and people ask, you know, what's the secret to long life? And she says, you know, avoiding people. And I'm like, oh, okay. If you're an introvert, maybe that's a good idea. But, I mean, otherwise, you'd say, well, that's not actually necessarily good advice. Because on news feeds, we get all sorts of stuff, you know. They'll say the three questions every interviewer should ask on an interview job. It's like, okay, good. Uh, or the three answers that you need to give so that you can get hired to an interview. You know, they give you all these things, five things that make you irresistible. I just saw that lately. Five things that make you irresistible. And then there's, the next thing is three things that you can do to resist certain people. You know, so there's all this, this knowledge just kind of conflicting with each other. Rita said, I just read that cheese causes cancer. I'm like, oh, man, I love cheese, you know. And then I said, oh, yeah, but I just read an article, bacon fat is good fat, you know. And so, like, there's just so many different advice going around from the world. And Psalm 198 says that God's word, but God's word is different than the, wor than, than the, 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 the wisdom of the world, the, quote, wisdom of the world. He says it makes me wiser than my enemies, more understanding than all my teachers, more understanding than the aged. Now, we think about this and saying, well, does 
does that mean that Christians will be able to avoid problems better? Uh, no. Christians, does it say that Christians, because we have God's wisdom, we're going to be better investors or we're going to be more successful in comparison to other people? No, that's, that's not really what God's wisdom is about. But where it counts most, God's wisdom is far superior to the world's. See, one of the most important distinctions between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom is that the world's wisdom is a me-centered wisdom. It's all about me. It's about how the wisdom of this world makes my life better, how it gets me you know, what I want or, or makes me the person that I want to be. Now, God's wisdom, on the other hand, is very different. God's wisdom is focused on God's will, what God wants. See, we simply think that God gives his wisdom to make our lives better, to help us solve all our problems, to get us what we want. If we think that's what wisdom, God's wisdom is about, uh, we're going to be sorely disappointed. I mean, there's a different benefit to living according to God's word. The psalmist does say in one, verse 101, he says, I hold back my feet um, from every way in order to keep your word. And this means that when we follow God's word, when we follow his wisdom, we save ourselves a world of trouble in avoiding the mess of sin uh, that sin brings into our lives and foolishness brings into our lives. But God's word, God's wisdom is so much more than just what God does for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 11, it says this about the wisdom of God. It says, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He, meaning God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, meaning Jesus. In him also, we have obtained an inheritance according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Now, if you look at these verses, there's a repetition here. It says, in him, through him, according to him, his will, his intention, according to his purpose, according to God's will. Ephesians is saying over and over again that God, in his wisdom, worked everything through Jesus in order to accomplish his purpose, that he works everything according to his perfect will. And so what God in his wisdom is saying is that God does things not simply just to benefit us, but rather God works everything according to his eternal purposes. That again, as we mentioned before, God's wisdom is the best possible plan and the best possible way to accomplish his will. Now, um, Elizabeth Elliot in her book, Let Me Be a, a Woman, uh, records the story of this lady called Gladys Alward. And I'm always uh, excited when I find out about these, all these different people that I never heard of before. And Gladys Alward, when she was growing up, she... Um, was unable to accept, it says here she, in the book it says she was unable to accept the looks that God had given her. Miss Allward had told that when she was a child, she had two greatest sorrows. Number one was that while all her friends had beautiful golden hair, hers was black. And the other was that while all her friends were growing tall, she stopped growing. But many years later, 
when she reached the country in which God called her to be a missionary. She stood on the wharf in Shanghai and looked at all the people around her and said, wow, everyone has black hair just like me. Wow, everyone is no taller than I am. (laughs) And she looked at God, she looked up into the heavens and said, Lord God, you know exactly what you're doing. And she ministered in Shanghai. She was actually a very well-known missionary in Shanghai. During World War II, when the Japanese invaded the city, she single-handedly rescued over 100 orphans by leading them over the icy mountains to get them to a safer place. And she like adopted orphans. She cared for all the people in Shanghai. She stayed there until the last moment of you know when Shanghai fell to the Japanese at the, in, during World War II. And so it's really exciting to hear about these stories about these missionaries that I never heard of, but I like this phrase that she said. She said, Lord God, you know, you know what you're doing. And that's like the praise of God's wisdom, right? That's the praise of God's wisdom. Say, God, you know what you're doing. That sometimes it's a hard road, sometimes it's a long wait, but it's always an act of faith. We believe that God's plan is always, always, always perfect we know that we get to the last thing we want to look at and that is what does it mean to trust in God's wisdom we really believe that God's plan is is the perfect way then what does it mean for me to walk in his wisdom how does trusting God change my lives you know because the strength of our faith is going to be seen in whether you know in life situations and real life situations whether we're going to cling to God's wisdom or we're going to choose the world's wisdom. See, surprisingly, even when we see this obvious sign, uh, you know, don't enter, um, there's this great temptation to, as, even as strong Christians who know God's word, there's this strong temptation to just drive up that wrong way. As great as the benefit is of God's wisdom that we know in our minds, we struggle to, uh, to stand firm in obedience to God's word. See, every day, practically, we make this choice. Am I going to hold to God's word and his wisdom, or am I going to, to give in to the world's wisdom? And we ask the question, you know, why is it so hard? Well, I believe there are four challenges that we face when we are trying to trust in God's wisdom. And the first is that trusting in God's wisdom means seeing things through. When we believe God has a purpose for my suffering, we don't give up. You know, the world's wisdom says, avoid struggle at all costs. The world's wisdom say, do what it takes to find the path of least resistance because you're the most important person and you can decide whatever you want to do. And so the natural self even as Christians, is going to tend towards this, but God gives wisdom, God gives his wisdom, not for us to figure out how to avoid problems or how to take care of myself. God's wisdom has to do with the ability to respond to problems and struggles in a way that bring the most glory to God, right? That move his purpose forward. In the book of James, it says, let endurance have its perfect 
result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is literally saying, let God finish what he's doing because he's accomplishing his perfect will in his perfect way. God has something very special planned for you, for every one of his children, for the glory of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't come easy, and it doesn't come quickly, and God says, give me the time that I need. Hang in there. Stand with it. Don't give up, for I need to do this perfect work in you. Even these present struggles and these trials are saving up for us, the Bible says, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The Bible says even for a little while on this earth, you and I suffer grievous trials, but what is to come, what will result will be the praise, the glory, and the honor of Jesus when he is revealed, when he comes. That's what God promises. So he says, let endurance have its, have its uh, perfect result. Stand in there. Let God do his work. The second thing about choosing God's perfect wisdom, why it's difficult, is that God's perfect wisdom means giving God the last word. See, the world says, the world will say, hey, I don't mind knowing God's will. I mean, I'll take anything. Sure, show me your will. That way I can know and decide whether I want to do it or not. But see, that's not how, as believers, as we think about God's word, that's, that, you know, we say no. This is, God gets the last word. To trust in God's wisdom means that it's not, oh God, tell me what you want and I'll tell you what I think about it. I'll tell you if I want to do it or not. It's no, God says this, God gets the last word. It's not God, show me what, it's God, show me what you want me to do because I have already determined in my heart that I will do your will no matter what you say. That even before you show me, I have already decided in my heart that I'm going to do it. Why? Because God's wisdom is not just another piece of advice. God's wisdom is truth. Ted Koppel, uh, the anchor for ABC's Nightline News, um, for over two decades he was in, uh, the, the, the anchor for Nightline, and I, I love Nightline just watching it. It's, it's no longer on the, on the air anymore. But he's addressing Duke University at their gradu one of their graduations, and he was talking about the idea of moral absolutes. Now Ted Koppel, I don't believe he's a Christian, I'm not sure, but this is what he said and I wanted to read it word for word because I really think it's so powerful. He says, we have spent 5,000 years as a race of rational human beings trying to drag ourselves out of the primeval slime by searching for truth and moral absolutes. But in the place of truth, we have discovered facts. And for moral absolutes, we have substituted moral ambiguity. We now communicate with everyone and say absolutely nothing. We have reconstructed the Tower of Babel and it is a television antenna. It is a thousand voices in which everyone's opinion is afforded equal weight regardless of substance or merit. Our society finds truth too strong a medicine to digest undiluted. In its purest form, Truth is not a polite tap on the shoulder. It is a howling reproach. When Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, what Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not the 10 suggestions. They are commandments, are and not were. And he finally says, 
language evolves, power shifts from nation to nation, messages are transmitted with the speed of light, but the sheer brilliance of the Ten Commandments is that they codify in a handful of words acceptable human behavior, not just for then or now, but for all time. It's powerful that he's saying this to this group of people that are going to go out into the world, and here's a man who's been on television for two decades, and he's saying the word of God is not just suggestions, it is truth. It is truth not just for then, not just for now, but for all time. That's truth. When we read God's word, when we understand obedience to God's word, we're not saying, oh, this is a good suggestion to make your life better, or you know, if you wanted to know, just in case you wanted to know what God thought about this so it could help you out, you know, you can read God's word. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God's word is truth. It is wisdom. It is not the world's wisdom. And, and when God speaks, we obey. We honor it. We grab hold to it as if it is the only truth that we have. And so God gets the last word. The third reason why trusting God's wisdom is challenging is because it is often dispensed on a need-to-know basis. I mean, we have this idea of need-to-know. It's like, you know, trust me, and I will let you know what you need to know. You know, no more, no less, uh, and, and no earlier, no later. That's how God usually reveals his will, right? I mean, we, we have that experience. Very rarely does God say, okay, here's the whole plan for what I'm going to do with your life. I got it all written out, and I'm going to show it to you. In the famous words of Dr. Strange, we go from Ted Koppel to Dr. Strange, <laughs> if I tell you what happens, it won't happen, okay? So some of you may know what that means. But basically, Dr. Strange was saying, there's a thousand or five million ways in which this can turn out right, and there's only one way it can work out. And then uh, Iron Man says, well, why don't you just tell us? And he goes, I can't tell you, because if I tell you, it won't happen. And then, of course, he'll tell him at the very last minute. That's not a, well, I guess that is a spoiler, but I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> God dispenses his wisdom and his perfect plan in what I call handleable portions. All the people who follow God in the past followed him step by step. It's the GPS version. It's the, in 500 feet, turn right, right? In half a mile, turn left. See, if God gave us the whole plan up front, it would overwhelm us. Why? Because we would say, God, that's impossible. And we would give up. See, God in his grace says, let me guide you through the impossible one miracle at a time. That's what he says to us. And then he does it. One miracle at a time. And then we look back at it and we say, God, I can't believe that I made it through all that. And we look at God and we worship him for his wisdom and his grace, right? That's how Abraham did it. That's how God did it with Moses. That's how God did it with King David. That's how God did it with the Apostle Peter. And so he does it with us as well. God's wisdom is defense on a need-to-know basis. Finally, we struggle with trusting with God's wisdom because sometimes trusting God's wisdom means allowing God to be God. Now, this is a big struggle. You know, when it comes to our lives and our future, um, a lot of times we would like to be God. 
We want to be in control. We want to know everything. We want to know all the answers. But sometimes, sometimes there are parts of God's wisdom and plan that we will never understand. We will never know why God chose to do certain things in the way he chose to do them. We'll never know why God brought certain things into our lives or, or why he didn't bring certain things into our lives. And God says to us, you must trust me that I love you and that this is the best, most perfect will and the most perfect way. This is the wisdom of God, standing firm to the end, giving God the last word, committing to, to obey God on a need-to-know basis, and trusting God even when we don't know why God is doing what he's doing. I mean, these are hard things, but they're worth it. And I want to ask, as we look at these things right now, what are you struggling with right now? Are you tempted right now to give up, to stop standing firm? Are you tempted to right now to say, you know, God, obeying your word right now is so hard and, 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 and I can't keep it up. And maybe right now Satan is offering an easier way out and you're really tempted and, and then today is saying, today is the day that you recommit yourself to say, God's word only. I'm, gonna, I'm really gonna see this out. I'm gonna stand firm in what I know God wants me to do and believe that God is wise, that this is best, that I want God to finish his work so that he, that Christ can be perfected in me, that Christ can receive the glory that he deserves. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with giving God the last word. And you say, well, I, I'm not sure, God, if God has the, the, my best interests in mind. And we think, well, I, I, maybe we think I know better than God right now. And, and I know the best way to do this, God. And I don't like the way that you're doing it, God. And, and I think that I know, you know, I, I, I don't want to surrender to God completely in all this because, you know, what if God asked me to do something that I don't want to do? Or what, what if, what if he, 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 he asked me to surrender something that, that I don't want to give up? Or what if he asked me to do something that I feel like I can't do it and well you know actually you can count on God you can count on it that God is not always going to ask you to do things that you want to do and he's not always going to put things in the way of your life that you feel that you can accomplish on your own but we trust God in his wisdom in his purpose that's the best that it is the best way that he knows exactly the way that I need to go to get to the place that I need to be for the glory of God. And whatever comes, that God is going to provide every single step of the way, even though I can't see it and I, I don't know what it is, you know, uh, God will do it. And I will give God the last word and I will give, I will surrender and say, God, I will do whatever you ask me to do, even though I don't know what it's going to be. Or maybe you're struggling here with the idea of the need-to-know nature of God's wisdom. And you say to God, God, you know, I need more than this. God, you've got to give me more before I follow you because I need to know where you're taking me, God. I need to know the plan, God. I need to know all the steps, you know. I've got it written out, you know, all the things that I need to prepare for this journey. And I want to know where I'm going to end up and I want to know what's going to be there when I get there. And God says, if I tell you 
Jesus will not get the full glory that is due him. You must follow me and you must trust in my wisdom because you will need all the strength you have just to make that next step that's right in front of you. You don't worry about all the steps after that. Maybe you're struggling with the final question, why? And this is the hardest one. Why, God, did this happen? Why, God, is it so hard? Why, why God, are there so many tears? God, for what good can this serve? Why am I alone to raise my children? Why, why was a, a loved one taken from me? God, why am, why am I still single, God? Why am I in this situation? These are the most difficult times that really no, no human answer will really satisfy or explain. But God says, my child, I love you more than you ever know and you will ever realize. And there are some things in which you must allow me to be your God and know that I'm worthy of your trust and I will prove it to you. In the end, when Jesus returns, I will prove to you that I'm worthy of every single trust that you've given to me. There's a biography written about the life of Ken Hawk Harrelson, and he's a famous major league ball player, and it's entitled, actually he took it after a Frank Sinatra song, and the, the title of the book is called, I Did It My Way. And so this book is about all his accomplishments. And I feel like if I were to write a book, an autobiography, I would entitled it, I would have entitled it, I'm so glad God didn't do it my way. <laughs> Not because I'm down on myself or my abilities. It's because over and over again in my life, God has shown how incredibly trustworthy his wisdom is. There are so many things that happened in my life and Rita's life together that we were, it was not according to our planning, but it was according to the wisdom of God. And we are forever grateful, forever thankful for God's wisdom, that he did it his way, that he did the things that he wanted to do in the way he wanted to do it. We're so thankful for the wisdom of God. And this is the same God for every single one of us. It is true of you, no matter what your circumstances. You are not where you are because of luck, because of chance, because of yourself. You are here because an infinitely wise God has been ordering your life from even before you were born. You were in his mind before the creation of earth. He already had a plan to bring Jesus' honor and glory in your life, that the, the, the glory and honor that he deserves. He has a plan, a best plan, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And we will see it in its full glory when Jesus returns. Let's go ahead and let's just spend some time in prayer. And as you think about these challenges,